It's Wednesday, September 23rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hell, joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Rule Breakers and Supernova, David Kretzman and Aaron Bush. Happy Wednesday, gents. Hey, Chris. Happy Wednesday. Good to have you in here. Um, we're going to dip into the full mailbag. We're definitely going to talk about GoPro. We're definitely going to talk about GoPro. I've been getting Oof. emails about and tweets. What is going on with GoPro? We're going to get to that. Uh, let's start, though, with Groupon. Shares down more than 6% this week, and the latest news is that they are laying off 10% of the workforce and exiting seven countries. As they try to right this ship, David, and uh, where are we with Groupon now? I mean, I think that for anyone who who's watched it since it first became public, and there was the initial enthusiasm, and it was very much in growth mode, as it probably should have been. Mm-hmm. But now, I just look at it and I think, how much longer is this company going to either still be existing, or still be existing on its own? Because the market cap has dropped to the point where I think it's about $2.5 billion now. Yeah, it's dropped a Quite a bit, and you mentioned the initial enthusiasm that <laughs> didn't last very long, at least for investors. I checked this morning, and since it went public in 2011, since that IPO, the stock is down 85 percent, and over the past year, it's down 40 percent. So it has very rarely made money for investors, at least people buying the stock. If you shorted the stock, you might might have actually done okay. You probably did okay. <laughs> yeah. So kudos to you if you did that. Uh, yeah, I mean these layoffs, it's just. Uh, you know, it might be a good thing because rather than throwing money at expansion, uh, now they're actually taking a look at it and seeing, hey, we're not going to get the return on investment that we initially, you know, might have hoped for when we went into these countries. So they're pulling out of a lot of countries, uh, kind of focusing their efforts. They're they're focusing more less on being kind of a daily deal site and more on what they're calling like uh, local commerce. So, however you interpret that, I don't know if that really differentiates them from other players. It depends what you're looking at, but. I mean, recently I was looking at uh, you know getting a hotel in Palm Springs, and, and we we looked on Groupon, and the deals that that were on Groupon weren't really any different than going to Expedia or Priceline or other players. So I'm not really sure how Groupon is going to differentiate themselves. But then go into the culture piece. So you're laying off 1,100 people. If you just look at Glassdoor, where you can see anonymous employee reviews, Group, Groupon gets three out of five stars by employees. Forty-nine percent of employees recommend the company to a friend, and only fifty-eight percent recommend or approve the CEO. So, for a company that's sort of in this tech online space, those are not very strong reviews, and those reviews reviews probably won't get any better uh, after these layoffs. Is this a business? Once upon a time. And certainly, when Groupon was private, there was a lot of enthusiasm just around the business itself, and it was a reimagining of the traditional coupon business. And and there was a lot of legitimate excitement. And locally, here in the D.C. area, there's a competitor in the form of Living Social, which is a privately held company. But just around here, you can see that Living Social has really struggled. And so, I'm wondering if this is now, do we now need to think yet again, oh, wait a minute, maybe this is really a complementary business to some larger player, rather than a legitimate, sustainable, profitable business, whether it's Groupon, Living Social, or anyone else? Yeah, maybe. And This is a very competitive space, and time after time, we see more and more of these companies struggling. But um, maybe it makes sense for them to be part of a larger competitor. But kind of if you look at it, and maybe this is playing devil's advocate a little bit, but I do think there is a legitimate place 
for Groupon in the world. It does offer a service that occasionally does add value mm-hmm. to, to some consumers. So I, I don't really imagine that this is an infinite spiral, but I don't know if the, the troubles are are over with for the most part. But if you kind of look at cash flow, they, they did produce more cash flow this year than they ever have before. It was 350, 360 million, something like that. Um, and and so even when you kind of look at the price to that cash flow, it, this is also the lowest it's it's been in quite a long time. So it could be kind of at a point where the pessimism is much more intense than the reality in this case. But I mean, just kind of one last little caveat, even though they are producing, Lots of cash flow. It doesn't seem like where they're putting it is doing them much good because they're they're not really profitably growing too much. And even the free cash flow, they're buying back shares. But if the price keeps on falling, those share repurchases don't <laughs> right. make sense. And they have tons of stock based compensation, so it really isn't having an effect at all. So I mean, whatever way you swing it, it's just it's tough. Part part of the issue is that their margins have dropped quite a bit. So their gross margin dropped from 69% in 2012 to 46% over the past year. So that's a pretty hefty drop. Then growth is also decelerating with that. So it's just when you have a combination of weaker margins and decelerating growth and your price as a high growth company, it's not a great combination. So but but as Aaron mentioned, the cash flow picture for the company is okay. So this isn't a company that's going to go under anytime soon, but it's Questionable whether they'll ever turn into a good <laughs> investment because so far in their public history they have not right. been a good good investment. Before they went public, worth remembering that Google did offer to buy them outright for six billion dollars. There's no way Google's offering them six billion now, but do you think Google is looking at them and thinking, yeah, we'll give you we'll give you two billion, we'll, you know, two and a half. we'll give you what your stock is at now, we'll give you you know we'll bump it up a little, we'll give you three. I mean. You know, Bryn and Page, they can just go through their sofas for loose change and come up with the money to buy Groupon. I could see that. I suppose. I mean, Google I mean, they could. They could. The question is, would it be a smart move? If you're a Google shareholder, are you looking at this thinking, yeah, we can make money off of this? It could make sense because Google is trying to focus a lot on their Google local um, service. So I know, like, I forget what service it is, but with Google Maps, if you search a restaurant or something, now you can see user photos. Things like that. So, since Google is really trying to focus on that local commerce piece, and Groupon is also kind of drifting toward that segment of the market, I suppose it could be complementary. I don't know. I, I kind of question whether Google might be able to just do it better on their own. Like these guys have not been very successful at what they've done. Uh, so, but but I suppose there there might be some talent and you know some relationships that that Groupon has that could be uh, beneficial to Google. Facebook announced that Instagram has crossed the 400 million user mark. I don't know why I'm surprised, Aaron, but I am surprised that they have grown 100 million users in less than a year. I mean, it was last December that they got to 300 million. I mean, if you're if you're Twitter, (laughs) you're just looking at this and saying, "Oh, what do we have to do?" I mean. Is this when when we think about Facebook as a business and the question gets raised from time to time? Well, what's going to be the next big thing for them? I mean, is this it? Because it kind of seems like it is. I think it is one of the big things for Facebook. Kind of just in my opinion, I think Facebook's acquisition of Instagram is probably one of the best acquisitions I've ever run across. So they acquired um, this company for about one billion dollars. 
And I think right now I've seen it valued at thirty-five billion dollars. Right, not and, too bad. Yeah, and and so I mean, it grew from three hundred to four hundred million users, and I mean, it's it's going to go up beyond that. And Facebook itself has, I think, about one point five um, billion. But but really, my first takeaway out of all of this is it really just shows how talented Mark Zuckerberg is at being able to spot these social trends. And I mean, he he's also acquired WhatsApp, Oculus. Um, and those are all other pieces of the puzzle. He also tried to acquire Snapchat. But um, it also just starts being clear that Instagram, in a way, is kind of the Facebook for the next generation. I think mm-hmm. we're starting to see that more. So Instagram is all photo sharing, sharing short videos. Um, but it really has proven to be addicting, and the network effect is really kicking into place. And the user metrics are inspiring. But what is perhaps even more promising is that they've barely started monetizing. And so as that Starts kicking kicking into place. We, we're seeing Facebook is, is still has a long way to run itself. And now, if this is yet another mini Facebook in a way, then that's huge. Especially when you add all the other pieces together. So I I like it a lot. I think when I think back to when they bought Instagram, my memory is that part of the the jaw drop over the one billion dollars. Had to do with how few people worked at Instagram. It was only about like it was fifteen people or yeah. something like that. So I think that had Instagram been a young company with a hundred, two hundred employees, people still would have been surprised by the dollar amount. But I think it was the dollar amount compared to how many individual people worked there. Yeah, I think that was a big part of it. But now, I mean, you said they're just starting to monetize, but they're gonna. Maybe I misread this. I thought I saw that they were on track to do about six hundred million in ad revenue. I think that's still just getting started. Okay. Yeah, because I really think they. I, I use Instagram. I don't know if you guys are on Instagram or not, but uh, they really just started rolling out the sponsored ads. Uh, you know, maybe within the past month or so, or you definitely they, they became more prevalent. At least they might have been doing like smaller tests. So the fact that they they rolled that out and they're being uh, a little bit more focused with with the ads and people are still signing up for the service, it it says a lot for for the power of of, of Instagram. Because like Aaron said, I think this is the Facebook for the next generation. I think there there are a lot of kind of there there are some key differences between what you can get as a user on Instagram versus Facebook on Instagram. The stuff that you like and comment on, it's not like put into the newsfeed of you know your friends. So it's a little bit more private. Uh, it's more visual, d- different things like that. But I think yeah, Instagram is really just getting started. Well, and and to your point, Aaron, about Zuckerberg, I think this not that he necessarily needed the cover, um, but I think it makes it harder for skeptics to question the WhatsApp acquisition. Even keeping in mind that WhatsApp, the price tag was what nineteen billion. Oh yeah. So it's obviously going to be harder to make up the nineteen billion than it is just to make up the one billion. But I think that looking at what they've done with Instagram in a relatively short amount of time, it, it's harder to build that bear case around WhatsApp. Yeah, they're really just all pieces in a much bigger puzzle. I think that's the best way to look at it. And it's just freaky that Zuckerberg is thirty-one. Like, oh yeah, just <laughs> better get it's my scary. act together. Right? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Slackers. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about GoPro because, uh, like I said, I've I, I've been reading on Twitter. I've been getting questions, and uh, I know you're a big proponent, David. Uh, you're a big believer in this company, but this is a stock that over the last six weeks has basically been cut in half. Yeah. Um, had the CEO on 
I think CNBC earlier this week sort of defending his business against a very bearish article from Barron's. And I don't own shares of GoPro, but uh, and maybe I'm showing my age here, but anytime on a Monday morning, one of the lead stories in the financial news is Barron's issues bearish article about company X. I get slightly more interested in company X, regardless of the business. <laughs> it's a good just contrary indicator. Just because I think Barron's, you know, and I'm not picking on any one individual person at Barron's, but I, I'm just saying that that was my gut reaction. Like, oh, someone's bearish on GoPro and they work for Barron's. Oh, maybe I need to check this out now. But the, but but let's get to the the crux of the argument, uh, which is not a new one, and it's GoPro's a one trick pony. And I'm wondering, when you look at the stock price being cut in half. How much optionality does this company have? I think they have a lot more than people ever anticipate, at least over the past year. So, just taking a step back, there, you know, you have two things here: you have business performance, and you have stock price performance. GoPro, the company, is performing better than anyone would have expected a year ago. Like, no question, people that would not have expected GoPro to be where they are today. And this is a company that grew revenue more more than seventy percent in the most recent quarter. They're expected to grow revenue about fifty five percent or more uh, through the, the rest of the year. Uh, they they released two new cameras uh, in the past quarter. One one of the concerns is how uh, th- this newer camera called the Session uh, is performing. It's uh, it, it's a new camera for GoPro. It's it's about the size of an ice cube. Uh, it's 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 built in, you know, with a waterproof case, so you don't need to buy a separate uh, waterproof case. And they're having, I think, uh, you know, maybe some headwinds selling those cameras because it's different from their their other cameras. So that that'll be something to watch uh you know going in, into the holiday season. But as far as optionality, this is a company that uh they're they're developing cameras for 360 degree uh video. So they're actually they, they want to be at the forefront of content for virtual reality devices like Oculus, which Aaron uh, talked about earlier. Uh so I, I think virtual reality when you're talking about Immersive, engaging content, which you know, GoPro videos today, people love watching those uh, those videos because they give a perspective that you can't get uh, with with other cameras. When you bring that into virtual reality, so you can get a full 360 degree panoramic view, that's just going to be awesome uh, content as consumers. And then the company is also coming out with a quadcopter or a, a consumer drone uh, in the early part of next year. So that I think that represents another opportunity for the company. They're also really focused on the software piece of the business, so making it easier for people to manage and edit and share those videos that they capture. So just resi- um, Breaking down the barriers to to sharing the the content that you capture on on your GoPro. So I think looking out over the next three years, GoPro the company has more options than it did over the past year. We certainly uh, know a lot more about the company. This the stock is trading at price free cash flow of twenty five, a PE multiple of twenty seven. So at today's price, the expectations are not that great for the company. But this is a company that's you know going to be growing sales probably more than fifty percent. Earnings have been growing in the triple digits. There just is not a lot priced into the stock, but uh, I don't know. When you look at the business performance, I think there's still a lot to like here. Is the pressure amped up just a little bit in terms of the upcoming holiday season? Because I think really the last couple years, when you see those annual lists of these are going to be the hot gadgets, GoPro has been on that list for a couple of years now, and it's it seems like uh, it would probably be nice for them to be on it once again. Yeah, I think that's definitely what they're intending. I think they'll they they've talked about a few things that they're going to do. So GoPro has really incredible distribution. I think they're in over fifty thousand retail stores worldwide. So that's you know distribution that 
other camera companies don't have. Something that they're going to be doing this holiday season is they're going to be training the Best Buy employees on these new cameras, especially that new session camera. And they might actually have some GoPro employees in the store to kind of give people hands-on demonstrations of the cameras and how you can use these different cameras since they have uh, new products. So I think the company, uh, Nick Woodman, who you know uh, in that interview you mentioned, he is optimistic about the holiday season and. Uh, they reaffirmed guidance uh, within the past month that they'll be growing sales above 55% through the rest of the year. So they're anticipating another strong holiday quarter or holiday season. Uh, but it'll definitely be something to watch, especially with that new camera. If, if that if the session can go off the shelves and consumers are happy with it, that would definitely be a, a positive sign for the company. Radio at fool.com is our email address from Monty Singleton. Who writes? I've read that Warren Buffett keeps almost thirty percent in cash, so he can be greedy when others are fearful. I love this strategy and have been keeping my cash in Vanguard's Total Market Bond Index, so I can collect a decent yield until the next market disaster. This index did not move with our most recent ten percent drop last month. However, your recent episode discussing the more than three-decade bull market in bonds has me worried. Though it seems like they're going to keep interest rates at zero forever, I want to be prepared for the inevitable rise of rates. Will a total market bond index get hammered if interest rates rise? Is there an option that's better to hold cash besides cash? I can't imagine Buffett having 30% in simply cash. Um, Full on, love the show. Boy, I just, I don't know, Aaron, I just love the image of Warren Buffett sitting in a room with piles of cash around him. That would be a lot of cash, too. That's how it would be a lot of cash. But to those two questions, uh, first, total market bond index, does that get hammered if interest rates rise? Yes. Um, If interest rates rise. In a word, yes. (laughs) Yes. I mean, historically, that is the case. It almost definitely will happen. And I mean, I can kind of dissect that a little bit. So, So if I have a 2%. Bond and the rates rise to five percent. People won't pay for my two percent bond if they can buy a five percent unless the price is lower. And so, in effect, really simply, that is what happens. And in terms of the broader question, which is one that you know we talk about that you know have a cash reserve, have a little something for when the market drops or when a stock that's on your watch list drops, but. Um, are there other options? Like, or I don't want to say other. Of course, there are other options, but are there better options than just simply having cash? Well, I don't think holding cash is necessarily a bad thing. Um, cash itself can provide a lot of optionality. It's just it's just their waiting. It doesn't really go up or down. It's just it's not getting you any yield though. No, no, it's not. Thirty percent is a lot. I don't I don't have thirty percent of my money in cash, for example. I wouldn't want that. But but just in principle, having some cash on the side generally is a good thing. But in terms of um, a couple other options, um, these are a couple. So so number one, if you are worried about cash lag, um, I've seen a couple um, big investors do this. You can buy um, a pretty large position in a company like Berkshire Hathaway. And so when markets generally go up more than they go down, and so over time you'll probably be better being more fully invested than not. But when when opportunities do rise, you can sell some of the Berkshire Hathaway to buy um, a, comp- a stock in the company that fell a lot more than Berkshire Hathaway did, for example. So it's not cash; it still is going to be a little bit volatile, but it still opens up some opportunity and to stay more fully invested. Another option, um, lastly, is writing put options. And so I don't really want to go into options 101 right now. Please don't. But. <laughs> But 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 basically, what that's going to do it it will allow you to pocket a premium, just some cash up front, 
And if the stock falls below your strike price, whatever whatever the option price is, you'll be obligated to buy shares. So bottom line, that is just a good way to get paid to wait for better prices. I'm going to get an angry email from Jeff Fisher for my please don't comment. He's, uh, he's, he's going to listen to this. And say, no, you should have let Aaron talk about options. <laughs> Spend the next hour talking about options. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, one more email from Christian Belko, who writes, Love the podcast. Try to listen every day. On Monday, you were asking if Philadelphia would have any craft beers on tap for the Pope's visit this week. Is that really a question you had to ask? I wanted to send this link for you to check out some of the top beers you'll hear about after the Pope's visit from Philly. And you might you might want to pick up a couple of these. I've tried a couple, and they're pretty good. And he sent a link um, to uh, Eater.com, which had a list of different microbreweries in the Philadelphia area that were, in fact, crafting special beers for the Pope's arrival. Uh, one called Jesus Wept. From from a brewery called Crime and Punishment. Interesting. Uh, Cape May Brewing coming up with something called You Only Pope Once. Uh, what else do we have here? These are collectors' items. These are collectors' items. Absolutely. Uh, Vault Brewing coming out with Papist IPA. So it's got to be fun to work in that industry, don't you think? If you work, I mean, I mean, we have fun what we do here. But that kind of creativity and being able to like, ah, oh, we got a special occasion. We're just going to roll out a special brew. And whoever gets to name that has an awesome job. Oh yeah, I think I think if you come up with the name, you get some kind of bonus, if only bragging rights. It's like if you work at the New York Post and you come up with the headline for the day that they slap on the front of it. You know, um, job well done. Yeah, exactly. Headless body found in topless bar, being maybe the all-time classic <laughs> yeah. uh, New York Post headline. Yeah, you definitely get the bragging rights. Aaron Bush, David Kretzman, thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.